Welcome to the Pursuit of Learning podcast. I'm your host, Clint Murphy. My goal is for each of us to grow personally, professionally, and financially one conversation at a time. To do that, we will have conversations with subject matter experts across a variety of modalities. My job as your host will be to dig out those golden nuggets of wisdom that will facilitate our growth. Join me on this pursuit. Today's guest, Brad Ritter, joins me to talk about unlocking your potential through purposeful diversity. And he's the first guest I've had who walked on a treadmill for the full conversation, a total badass. In his own words, we talk about mastering your inner dialogue, raising your self-imposed ceiling, and conditioning your mindset to seek purposeful pain and growth through adversity. If you want to achieve more and build your get shit done muscle, this is a conversation you want to listen to. Brad, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here today. We are going to be talking about your book, School of Grit. Before we dive into that, for our listeners who don't know you, can you give us a brief bio of Brad? Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on the show too, Clint. Looking forward to this. I'm a pretty normal average guy is what I like to tell people. So I'm 43. I've been married 17 years. I've got two awesome kids. My daughter, Hallie, she's 11, getting ready to turn 12, but going on 16. And my son, Brody, is eight and born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana, although we live a little bit farther south in Indianapolis now, about 30 minutes south in the town of Greenwood. And life's pretty good, man. I I don't have too many complaints, which I'm sure we're going to get into later as we go through the book. But I am an entrepreneur. I do own my own uh, coaching business. Obviously, I I published the book. But I also have a W-2 job too. And I say that because I'm probably like a lot of people out there who uh, might be listening where you know they've got the quote-unquote day job, but they've got some sort of passion or something that they really want to do and, and, uh, and, and working on that as well. So it's a little bit about me. And Brad, for the listeners who won't see video, we haven't started publishing video yet. Are you on a walking treadmill? I am. Oh, my first walking treadmill. My first guest on a walking treadmill during a conversation. This is awesome. It looks like a great way to get some extra cows in while having a podcast. Absolutely brilliant idea. So where I'd love to jump in on the book is I'll, I'll read a fun quote from the foreword and get you to take our listeners through that. And that is, have we gotten soft as a society? I would argue yes, in most cases. It boils down to this. We have built a society and culture of comfort. We don't challenge ourselves and are okay with settling and being mediocre. People tend to shy away from hard work. They look for the path of least resistance and are attracted to the easy way. You see it everywhere from advertising, promotions, losing 10 pounds in just 10 days to the plethora of get rich quick schemes out there. People want the magic pill that will cure their troubles. They have lost the joy of hard work. Guess what? No one is going to save you. 
If you don't like your current situation, it's on you to get yourself out. And there is a way out, but it's uncommon. Now that is, is really encapsulates most of what we'll talk about throughout the whole book, but it's a pretty powerful opening section. Do you want to take us through how you realize that in your own life and what you see out there? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, you know, when you take stock of at least, and I, for those who are listening, I live in the United States. So we are by nature, I think, somewhat creatures of comfort. So it's not like I'm talking to you from a third world country or, you know, I'm not in an area where there's uh, war torn areas. So for those folks, totally different story. But for me and my situation in the United States anyway, I just think we're in probably the most comfortable generation that there's ever been. And there's pluses and minuses with that. It's great. You know, technology has allowed for so many advancements in in everything, right? Nutrition, medicine, you name it. But it's also been what I'm seeing is a disadvantage because, for instance, I have young kids at home and they're just used to ordering something and something showing up, you know, the next day on Amazon Prime or hard, you hardly ever find kids that walk to school anymore. And we're fortunate. We live close enough to school where our kids do. But I look around the neighborhood and, you know, everybody's got golf carts and and uh, these little gadgets, these scooters. I'm like, whatever happened to just walk or riding your bike, you know, something like that. And, and I use these examples jokingly, but it's true. Like if I, I have a saying that comfort is a slow death, and I truly believe that. And, and I, and I live that, that was my experience. So to go farther back, I'm 43 now, as I mentioned earlier, when I was in my mid thirties, I kind of had this realization. It wasn't any sort of uh, event. I didn't go through anything traumatic or car accident or battle a disease or anything like that. I just had this moment where it was literally like the man, the mirror moment when you're looking at yourself and your internal dialogue, your chatter starts racing as it normally does. And I, I'd had these questions that just kept coming up for years and they were all around purpose. Like, man, what am I really here to do? Like, am I sp- just supposed to work at this job the rest of my life and, you know, build up a 401k and retire to Florida? Uh, I mean, that sounds great, but, or am I meant for something different? Am I meant for more? And if so, like, how do I, how do I get to that point? Um, so, you know what I did? I actually listened to my voice for the first time. Because normally I would dismiss it and be like, yeah, that's good, but I got to go to work or I got to do this. I actually called in sick that day and I, I was just going to take a mental day, right? Back before we called those probably mental days. And I did I did some research as most people would do and went online and I typed in, you know, purpose. How do you find your purpose? And as you can imagine, there was like 27 million hits on Google. I started doing all this research and at the end of the day, I couldn't find any. I, I wasn't anywhere closer to finding my purpose than I was when I started out. I just kind of had analysis paralysis, if you will. But I'm a big proponent of like I love video. Uh, that's I love interacting with people over video, kind of like we are now. And so I went to YouTube and I typed in the same thing, like purpose. How do I find purpose? It was pure luck. But in the top ten hits, this TED Talk came up. And this TED Talk, I like to ask people like, hey, have you ever seen a TED Talk? Most people raise their hand. But I'm like, have you ever seen a TED Talk that changed your life? Not too many people usually raise their hands. This one changed my life. And this TED Talk was delivered by 
uh, psychologist named Angela Duckworth, who you might be familiar with. And she actually wrote the book Grit. And, you know, she, I mean, she didn't come up with the word grit, as she goes on to say, but she's she's probably attributed to like putting grit full full face, you know, out there in society and putting a definition behind it. So sh- she goes on to say that grit is the uh, <laughs> it's the power of passion and perseverance over the long haul. And the great thing about grit is it can be grown. And in a lot of her studies, and she studies everything from uh, people at West Point to, uh, you know, highly stressful sales jobs to people teaching in the inner cities, you know, really tough jobs, trying to figure out who's going to quit and who's going to, who's going to make it, who's going to stick. And in her studies, she, she finds that grit is one of the leading indicators and predictors of success in life. And when I read that, I was like, dang, I want some of that. I want some of that. So I went on to her website and she's, she still has it. You can go there right now. If you type in grit scale, it's 10 questions. You could take it in two minutes and you basically get a score of how gritty you are compared to other people. And I took the test and I'll never forget it. It's uh, one through five, five being super gritty, one being little or no grit. I scored like a 2.2. And that was, uh, I think I was grittier than like 20% of most people that, that took the test. And I'm very competitive by nature. I always have been. That did not sit well with me. But when I started digging in and looking at the way the questions were asked, it made sense. Because up until that point, I was the type of person that would start something, start a project, let's say, especially around the house or whatever, but I'd never complete it. Mm-hmm. Or if I had some goal I was working on, I'd move on to the next shiny thing, right? Like the shiny object um, syndrome. And I just, I completed very few big goals. Yeah, I'd be busy working on stuff, which, you know, we can all say that. But like, what was I accomplishing? What was I finishing those tasks? Was I working on them in the long haul? And man, that really struck a chord with me. So that TED Talk really set me on this trajectory of self-development and improvement. And then from there, I ordered a book, read it. And she basically says to some, it's a great book, by the way, if you haven't read it and your listeners, but essentially you can grow grit from the inside out and you can grow it from the outside in. And I just wanted this immediate, like jump in with both feet and like, yes, I want some. So I decided to grow grit from the outside in. And one of the ways you can do that is by voluntarily putting yourself in situations or what I refer to as purposeful adversity. And that's how my book School of Grit was born. So I went back online and went to YouTube and I I said, man, I want something that's just going to like rock me, rock me to my core, you know, push me farther than I've ever been pushed. And I went on to YouTube and I typed in world's toughest civilian training. And this camp popped up, which I'm sure we'll talk about called Kokoro camp. And it's modeled after Navy SEAL hell week. And I'll never forget seeing uh, Mark Devine, who's the, the founder of SEAL fit an unbeatable mind. Yes, he, he also wrote the forward to my book. I saw his video on YouTube. This is the second video that changed my life. And he's imagine put yourself in this place. You're out in California. <clears throat> you're about to get beat down by Navy SEALs. You know it. You're voluntarily putting yourself into it. And out walks Mark Devine, someone you've probably never met before, but you've seen him on video, chiseled, you know, iron chin. <clears throat> he's got his shades on, and he's just looking at the class. The class is just standing there in formation, not knowing what's about to be dropped on them. 
And he says, rejoice in adversity. How do we grow as human beings? It's through adversity. Warriors seek out the severest of schools in order to forge their character. Welcome to the severest of schools. And man, when I heard that, just the hair on the back of my neck got up and I got goosebumps. And I was like, I, I got to go to this camp. Like, that's me. That's what I got to do. I don't know what's going to happen there, but I'm going to find myself. So that's kind of a, I threw a lot at you, but that's how I got up to that point of, you know, going to uh, this Navy SEAL training made for civilians because I don't want to be a Navy SEAL. I just elected to go to something similar just to kind of push me past my, past my limits, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I mean, it, it, it changed me. Yeah. And you called that your crucible moment. So mm-hmm. what I'd love to know for that, for our listeners who don't know what a crucible is, let's bring them up to speed on that. And then from the time you signed up to Kokoro, would that be the yep. right? So from the yep. time you signed up to Kokoro and not signed up, you have to apply what was the process from seeing what you needed to be able to achieve in the application to getting to the point where you said, I can apply for this? Because the when I looked at it, the PT requirements, I believe we call them, which you had to do a number of times while you were there, those are no slouch. And if you were uh, 2.2 on the grit scale, you probably weren't hitting those numbers to start is my assumption. You weren't in the shape you're in now. You weren't physically ready. So what was that process to get to the start line? Yeah. So your first question there, I think was, you know, what, what's a crucible and um, the Marines have actually something called the crucible. I can't remember how many hours it is, but it's, it's, it's something similar. It's like over 50 hours or whatever, where you're just, you know, it's constant movement, but a crucible is just designed to, to break you down on every level. Kind of like what I said earlier, physically, mentally, emotionally, and just seeing if, are you going to quit? Are you, are you going to throw it in? Are you going to keep going? Are you, and it's not just about you. It's about your teammates, which is another, another big thing I wanted to, to point out there. So a crucible experience, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, just a pure uh, smoke session, let's say, working out. It, it, a crucible experience could fit lots of different things. So I just, I wanted to make that clarification, you know, death of a loved one could classify itself as a, as, as a crucible experience. You didn't voluntarily sign up for that, but that happens, you know, and that's something we talk about in the book is, you know, trying to get ready for the unknown. And, you know, there's, there's usually two schools of thought with that thinking, oh, it's not going to happen, but in the reality, we know bad stuff happens to everybody. Or um, if it does happen, we're going to rise to the occasion. What the fallacy with that is, we usually don't rise to the occasion. We fall back to the level of our training over and over again. So I, I wanted to talk to the crucible piece real quick. And then you had asked me the, the lead up time to Kokoro camp. So um, it, it's not like I was a complete slouch when, when I read, you know, I, I was quote unquote in shape. I had at least, I was going to like the Globo gyms, like La Fitness and stuff like that. And, you know, doing my uh, curls for the girls and hopping on the treadmill for 30 minutes and, you know, that, that, that type of stuff. But I knew I needed to completely change that because this was going to be a lot more body weight movements, let's say, because it doesn't matter. 
how much you could bench press or deadlift or how big your your biceps are out at uh out, out a camp like that it's you and your your over time your body is going to wear down there is no question about that so it's just it's getting your body into a place where it can endure that level of volume and the lead up for me i signed up i officially applied i think it was in january of that year and i was going to class up in july so i had about 6 months to really do some hardcore training and i think you mentioned earlier this was actually an application just because you've got the money uh, to, to do it doesn't mean they're going to let you in. You actually have to apply. And I don't know if the application process has changed, but when I went through it, you had to fill out, what are you doing to prepare? And not just workouts, like what are you reading? What are you, what are you doing mentally? Because as, as you know, and, and, and most people out there, today it's 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 uh it, it really is meant it's the mental game right yes there's physical things you need to be able to perform and we'll address those but when everybody shows up they're all in relatively the same shape which is pretty darn good shape and so it's like why do people quit well it's the six inches between your ears it's that mental game is why they quit and i'm sure we'll we'll touch on that later but the application was asking not just like your scores on physical fitness, but yeah, what, what kind of books you were reading? What have you done for self-development? The, and here's the big one. Why are you doing this? Mm. What's, what, what's your why behind signing up for this class? Because inevitably, and this can go for any goal, anything you're working on right now, literally anything, take it. You're writing a book, you're taking a class on this, you're, you're working out. Okay. Why are you doing it? And if you ask yourself why three to five times, you'll get to the root reason, the real reason of why you're doing anything it is that you're doing in, in life. And to get through a camp like that, it needs to be intrinsically motivated. It can't be, oh, so so-and-so, so my dad will think highly of me. Well, that's going to burn off at some point. It really needs to be internally charged and, 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 you know, written by you because you're going to, you're going to come face to face with that several times over the course of life. And I definitely came face to face with that several times over the course of that camp. So knowing why you're doing it is probably the biggest takeaway I could give you and, and your listeners. And, and so for our listeners who don't know what their purpose is, don't know what their why is, how do, how do they use the three to five whys to find that? What does that look like for them? Yeah. So, ta- I mean, take anything. Take waking up in the morning. This is a great one because I'm a huge proponent of having uh, some sort of morning routine, morning ritual that you, that you do just about every day, right? I, I always ask people, why do you wake up? Most answers that I hear are, well, I, I got to go to work or I got to get the kids ready or, you know, some other example of that. And yes, that's true. Is that important? Absolutely. It's important. You got to pay the bills. You got to take care of your kids, so on and so forth. But what I'm getting at is what are you doing in the morning to win for yourself? Or another way of saying that is how are you winning the day? before the day actually begins. Cause too often we're, we're reactive right from the get go. Okay. I set my alarm for 5am. Let's say 
do I actually get up or do I hit snooze? That's the first battle of the day right there. And it's oftentimes the hardest. I Yes, I wake up early. I still hate it. I love sleeping. I love the comfort of my pillow. I love the warm sheet, especially when it's winter and it's cold. Um, so that that's the first battle. And I find that if you can just win that first battle of the day and get up, you just habit stack that with the next task. And after you wake up, try not to hop on your phone. You know, try not to hop on email and and answer maybe work emails let's say try to spend that time 100% of that time even if it's just 10 minutes on you whether that's you know stretching doing some morning meditation breath work whatever but I'm just a huge huge proponent of that and you know going back to that question yeah just being able to ask yourself why why are you working out or why are you waking up so for me, when I ask myself that question, why do I wake up? It's not to go to work. It's it's not to get to the kids. I, I wake up so that I can um, become the best version of myself through my morning routine. So I knock that out and then then boom, right? It's go time. You've got you've got your day's tasks and so on and so forth. So it doesn't uh, when when you talk purpose, it's a, that takes time. It's not like you're gonna snap your finger and and immediately think of it. And, and for a lot of people, and that's the way I was up until my mid thirties, I hadn't really thought about it too much. Like actually spent time in thought, reading, researching, asking questions. It'll happen. I'm just a big proponent that, um, the answers are inside you. We just got to slow down and listen. Like they're there, but a lot of times we got to get through all the crap, all the muck, all that, all the, um, outside interference, right? Cause there's so much going on get through all that minutia and the answer is probably there and it's been there for a while. Mm -hmm. And and the morning routine is one of the ways you suggest to the readers or listeners that they can demonstrate commitment, which is such an important part of this journey. Why is it that the morning routine demonstrates that commitment and why do you believe so strongly in that aspect of it? Yeah, it's a great question. I didn't used to have a morning routine. Well, let me rephrase that. Everybody has a routine, whether they know it or not. Let's just say I didn't have a very effective one. Yes, because I, I I used to, you know, sleep in until you know the the latest time that I possibly could, but had had to wake up and go to work, and then my breakfast was pretty crappy considering you know it was cereal or whatever, and and then uh, and then I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at my phone. Black then it was probably like a BlackBerry people even know what those are but you know look at look at through trying to see the emails that came through so i'm i'm already in my mind i'm just going through the normal the normal morning but when i look holistically i'm like i'm already losing from the get-go yeah already <laughs> i fueled myself improperly i am playing defense i am doing nothing really to uh help myself grow uh physically mentally emotionally you know it's just, and i'm just i'm just totally reactive so so yeah, I think it's the easiest place to start for people because everybody does it. Everybody has a routine, whether they know it or not. So I would employ you to take take stock of it. See if there's time. Um, and I think everybody has time, whether it, it's 10 minutes or an hour. But see if you can carve that time out to start working towards something. Whatever that is for you. You know, it, it, it could just be, in, you know, reading. It could be writing, Whatever. But carve that time out for you, and I just do it for a week, and I guarantee you're going to be like, "Oh man, 
this is this is good. Is it hard? Yeah, it's hard because I don't like waking up early, like I said. But is it worth it? Heck yeah. It's like every time I go to work out, like there's lots of days I'm not motivated. But man, every time I, I do it and I, I get that sweat afterwards, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I did this. Like so glad. The well we're so tying into the workouts, one of the important things you talked about just starting, and everyone talks about concepts like the five minute rule, which I love. And we also talk about the importance of not giving up. But there's that difference between quitting and giving up, which uh, is definitely comes into play when you're at Kokoro. And so Mark Devine had a quote that said, destiny favors the prepared in mind, body, and spirit. And so how does that tie in to this concept of I will not give up? And why is that so different for you than quitting? Yeah, I think there's a good distinction there between quitting and giving up. I, I tell people, it's fine to quit if you're quitting for the right reasons. I've quit crappy relationships. I've quit I've quit goals, smaller level goals that no longer serve me, let's say. But giving up, when I'm talking about giving up, these, those are like the the higher level goals. Those are those are like your dreams, aspirations, your perp whatever you think your purpose is. Giving up on that, no way. You know, that's something that I feel so strongly about and it, and, it, and it has to. If you've got something that you feel so strongly about, you're like, there is no way I'm, I'm going to give up and quit this. That, that's what I'm talking about. So so there there is a major difference between uh, quitting and giving up. I actually think quitting is a good thing and knowing when to quit. Um, mm. A lot of times we say yes to, to too many things. We just do by nature. So you got to get good at saying no or you got to get good at, Maybe you've said yes, and you're like, again, asking yourself, why? Why am I doing this? Well, if you can't answer it, or if you do answer it, and it's not a very good answer, it's like, probably need to evaluate that and and alter course and pivot. And so would you say after going through this process and working your way through it, has your ability or the amount that you say no increased? And um, ton. Uh, absolute ton. And, yep. and what tools, like, what's the process? Like, uh, when, when something comes in, how do you evaluate it to give it a yes or a no? I ask myself one simple question. If someone approaches me about something, and it, it's either a hell yes or a hell no. Okay. It's, it's really that easy. Like, if you ask me, to, hey, hey, Brad, are you interested in doing this? If I'm like, hell yes, well, yeah, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm in. It's just a matter of time. If I have any, everybody has that internal voice where you're like, you'll probably say yes, but deep down you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I have the time or whatever. Just say no, especially mm-hmm. if it's a hell no. Yeah. And then there there are other um, decision-making models out there. I mean, one one simple one that I use is called uh, the FITS model. So F-I-T-S. Okay. And the, the F is, does it actually fit your overall uh, mission in life or your purpose or your your higher level goals okay that does it does it line up basically is what we're looking at i is how important is it <clears throat> what's the level of importance of this goal because not all goals are created equal like we discussed and the t is the big one the t is one of the big reasons i actually do say no a lot and and it's something to really take stock of t's time how much time does this invest and what does the timing look like i've said no to um i've said no to quite a few different things in my life that i've later done 
I've done it at a later time is basically what I'm trying to say. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to say, no, I'm not going to do it. Here's the reason why it doesn't fit time-wise, but I eventually want to do it. You know what I mean? Nothing wrong with that. And then the S is specific. You know, can you can you take that goal or can you take that job or whatever it is you're being presented with? Is it specific and is it scalable? You know, am I able to, you know, say the say it's like, hey, can you take on this project from work? Well, do I have the time? Yes. Am I able to chunk it into a way that I'm going to get it done? You know, that's how you need to think about it. So that's okay. a simple little fits model that you can do pretty quickly as well. It, but I just, I usually go with the first one and the first one, it's led me on the right path so many times. It's either a hell yes or a hell no. And if it's like, hell yes, cool. I'm, I'm interested. If it's hell no, it's like, nah. And sometimes you only have to give a reason. Just say no, not right now. Yeah. I, I love, I love that. I, I heard another podcast and they were talking about a woman who's, they said she was one of the best life coaches out there and that might not even be the right term for it but she one of the greatest abilities she had was just her saying no and it she would just boil it down to simply thank you and no <laughs> yeah i mean it you, was you don't have to put much more into that yeah exactly exactly her whole thing was like it's a no <clears throat> it's a complete sentence you don't need to explain it throw a thank I, you I, on the front and you're done I think everybody needs a no person in their life as well. Cause what we all have, and I'm guilty of this too. We have these ideas or whatever, and it's just, it's awesome to have that friend or family member or person that you talk to about stuff and they can immediately tell you like the negative about it. Like, well, no, you might want to look out for this. It's good to hear that perspective. And then you can decide for not whether you think it fits or not, but uh, man, I just, I think we need more, more no people. You see that a lot with uh, professional athletes too, because they have a lot of money and notoriety and stuff. Oh, and their they inner need, circle, they they're need just, it the most. They get, they, yeah. yeah, their inner circle is just feeding them. They're telling them, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, you need, you need someone like us that could just, yeah, like, nah, this is the money stupidest the idea I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. no, don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And you see so many athletes and professionals who earn money at an insanely high level and then they're bankrupt and no one around them tells them no, no one around them says, Hey, yo, by the way, in 10 years, you're not going to be making $20 million a year. You're going to go from that to zero. So here's how we can set it up so that you keep making that money. It's such an important part of, of life and really something that's a big part of my focus too. But let's go back to giving up and quitting. So one of the things you talk about is when you set out for a physical training session or some other form of, of challenge, there are four things you focus on so that you don't give up. Your breath, positive self-talk, visualizations or mental Im imagery, and goal setting. So, so why is it those four things and what does that look like for you? Yeah. So what you basically just said there is what I refer to as the big four of mental toughness, which is something I learned out there at the camp. So this wasn't, um, this wasn't something I came up with. This is something that was taught to me and I now teach it uh, to other people. And, you know, could it, could it be a big five or B six or big six? Sure. I'm sure there's different things you might be able to, to substitute in and out. But when you're look when you're presented, <clears throat> when you're presented or put in a situation where it's tough, all right, 
I like to start with the breath. I'm a huge proponent of the breath. And I mean, we're breathing right now. But there's certain ways to breathe that are are better, especially in the long run. Most of us are mouth breathers. And that's not actually a really good thing to do. We have a nose for a reason. So, you know, being able to breathe in and out your nose, there's just so many, um, just science supports that. I mean, there's books on it. James Nestor wrote a great book called Breath uh, that goes really, really deep into the weeds with it. It's very, very interesting stuff. But what we like to say is if you can control, <clears throat> if you can control your physiology, you can control your psychology. Meaning if I can control my breath, lower my heart rate, give myself some time to think, then I can control like what's going on in my mind and I'll be more able to make a better decision. So that's, that's kind of why we start with breath, especially when you're in strenuous situations. I mean, think about the last, uh, you know, argument you might've gotten in with uh, a spouse, a child, an, em- an employer, an employee. Um, chances are you're probably holding your breath. I like to tell people that like next time or next time you're in a uh, crucial conversation, let's say, take stock of your breath. Like, are you actually breathing or are you holding your breath? I'd say nine times out of 10, you're probably holding your breath. And breathing just allows you to, I mean, I'm doing it right now. The listeners could probably hear that, but it just allowed me to think about what I'm going to say next, you mm-hmm. know, and it, it, it kind of fills that dead air and, and all that good stuff. So that, that's why I like to start with breath because it's something we all do. Uh, most of us don't think about it in terms of how are we breathing? How can we optimally breathe? And there are obviously breath practices, meditations and stuff that you can do uh, on a daily basis to to help, to help with um, lowering your stress, lowering your blood pressure. That's one for me. I, I've had high blood pressure for a number, number of years, but since I've actually done some uh, consistent breath practice in my morning routine, my my blood pressure has lowered without the use of uh medicine that's just from my own life and i know everybody's different can can you share brad if i'm i'm doing it right now while we talk can you share the concept of box breathing and why that one is such an important part of your toolkit yeah so uh box breathing was taught to me by by mark divine and it's it's very simple so if you imagine a box in your head uh, and we we like to go with like a four or five second count. So you're going to, and this is all done through the nose again. So try not to do this uh, with your mouth open. This is all nasal breathing. So you're just going to breathe in through your nose for five seconds, hold for five seconds and breathe out through your nose for five seconds and hold for five seconds. And you're just going to repeat that pattern over and over again. I say, do that when you're first starting off, you know, do it for a minimum of, I'd say five to 10 cycles, but you can get up to, you know, doing it for 10, 20 minutes. And then there's other habits you can put in there, like visualization. And, and it's just, that's where it starts getting really cool. And I know you've, you know, we've all probably heard of, yeah, breathe in meditation. I used to poo the crap out of that. Like this doesn't work. I tried it for you. I just couldn't find it. This is the one practice that was a game changer. And like anything else, I made myself stick with it. It was a challenge just to see if I could do it. I said, I want to box breathe for five minutes every day for a month. You know, I kept it pretty, pretty small. Everybody's got five minutes and I learned to love it. And then what I f- would find is, man, I just, I'd escape into my own mind or the, the five minutes was no longer long enough. I wanted to extend to 10, 15, whatever, but that's, that's the basis of, of box breathing. So it's, it's pick whatever interval you want 
the average is usually around four or five and it's done through the nose. So five seconds in, hold, five seconds out, hold. Love it. Yep. And then there's another, I'd say that's, I do that every day. And when you're in stressful situations, it's going to be a lot harder to hold your breath. I actually, I don't recommend it unless you've had some training, but you can do what's referred to as tactical breathing. It's very simple. So you're just going to take four seconds in, four seconds out, four seconds in, four seconds out, ideally done through your nose, but that's a way that you can remain calm in, uh, in very stressful situations as well. Awesome. So then, and, and I love it. I, I also do it all day, every day, you know, not all day, but throughout the day, if I'm in meetings, I'm listening to people focusing on the breath, counting the ins, the outs is a good way to say, okay, I'm, zone- I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say or what's happening today or tomorrow. I'm just focusing on them and I'm counting my breaths and I'm just being here present in the moment. So I love that one. And so yeah, the- that's a good point, Clint. So- sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Uh, Cause you'd mentioned something there. Yeah, it's don't think like you just got to do this in the morning. You can do it throughout the day. We call those like spot drills, especially yeah. like after a meeting, before a meeting either. So it's it's pre standard operating procedure on our, on my coaching calls. Guess what we start off with? We all get grounded. Uh I tell people to drop their rucks cuz we're all carrying weight, some sort of weight seems like. So put that on the ground and let's just get present right here right now. So we all do box breathing right before every call and it's awesome. Just gets everybody on the same level and present. Well, that makes a ton of sense. Absolutely. And so the the last three were uh, positive self-talk, visualization, and goal setting. Mm-hmm. I took you on a tangent on the breath. I'm happy to go wherever we need to go. But that. yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it's that important. So yeah, positivity, as the name states, is, you know, po- positive self-talk. Um I can't remember what, I don't know what the exact stat is. You've probably heard something similar, but we have an average of whatever, 50,000 thoughts running through our heads every day. Chances are half those thoughts are the same ones you had yesterday and take stock of how many of them are negative versus positive. I mean, that's that's what you're- 98%. Yeah. We're our own worst critics. Yeah. I I can tell people, would would you talk to your friend or your loved one the way that you talk to yourself mentally and internally right now? Mm-hmm. You know, so really take stock of that. And to to prove that point, um, <clears throat> I hope I don't butcher this guy's name. I think it was Dr. Emoto. Are you familiar with his, he analyzed water crystals and snowflakes? Are you familiar no, with this? No, no, I haven't heard this one. It's fascinating. So he looked at crystals inside of snowflakes and he would subject them to positively charged music or negatively charged music based on the lyrics and stuff like that. And when you look at them underneath a microscope, as you would think, the positively charged ones were beautiful, like pristine, just absolutely gorgeous to look at. And the ones that were negatively charged were discolored. They were ugly. They were all disformed. And why I say that is, as human beings, we're 70% water. So you got to think, the more positively we talk to ourselves, the better off internally we're going to be with our own water uh, molecules and particles and that's just going to lead to to bigger and better things so mm. yeah check out okay. check that experiment it's pretty cool yeah i'm gonna look that one up i love it so positivity uh and i'm hitting these kind of quicker sorry about that no worries. and then we've got uh visualization which is another game changer and what i mean by visualization 
is is actually seeing yourself being successful. That starts first thing in the morning. So if you have a morning routine and you're waking up and just say you've got that five minutes to, to box breathe, we all have five minutes, like see yourself being successful, see yourself going through the day and accomplishing goals, or maybe you've got a big speech or a big presentation at work, see yourself knocking that out of the park, you know, or you got a big race or whatever that is, see yourself doing it and, and feel what that's like at the finish line of, of just knocking it out of the park. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's what uh, Sun Tzu said in, in, in the art of war, something to the effect of uh, victorious warriors first go to war, having thought about winning instead of just showing up and hoping they win. I totally butchered that, but it, it, that's the, that's the, I get the idea. Yeah. You get get the idea. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, before you go to war, like visualize yourself being successful and war for us, you know, some, I'm, I'm not a, um, I'm not in the military. I I have some buddies who are actually, actually have a few that are currently deployed. So obviously they're fighting real wars, but, uh, war for us, everybody's going through a war. Everybody's going through something you just don't know about. And that's the, oftentimes the battlefield's life. So that's our own versions for, for people listening out there, but see yourself being successful, you know? So that's visualization. <clears throat> and then the last thing I kind of touched on a little bit was uh, goals, like setting realistic goals. So, you know, if you're going to go run a marathon, you're probably not just going to buy brand new sneakers and go run. You're going to, you're going to set up, you have a proper training program, crawl, walk, run sort of thing to get you ready to go run that marathon. It's no different than any other, you know, big goal, whether you've got a huge recital coming up or a huge presentation, you know, scale that backwards Mark it on the calendar, what you need to be doing week in, week out to prepare yourself and do that big thing. Earlier, you were talking about the idea that we don't rise, we fall to the level of our training. And, and so we've been talking about training and practice. And, and I love this quote that you wrote, which was by consistently forming habits of deliberate, deliberate practice and pressure testing them for when things go wrong. You can help to bulletproof your mission. Rising to the occasion is just an illusion. And one of the ways you've done for yourself is you've introduced a fun concept in your life called milestone, monthly milestone challenges. What do those look like for you? And how can I or or the listeners introduce these in our lives? Maybe not at the same level, but you crawl, walk, run. That's right. What does that look like, Brad? Yeah. So that saying, we don't rise to the occasion. We fall back to the level of our training. That too is from uh, the military. You'll probably sense I pull a lot of analogies and stuff from, from uh, the military, but it's so true. Um, You know, when, when stuff happens, you're going to fall back to your level of training. Otherwise it's just hope and hope's not a good plan. Mm-hmm. I'm sure as we all know, hope's not, hope's not a really good, it's important to have hope. I'm not saying that, but you know, if all you have is hope and that's your plan, like good luck. Like I I'd rather know that I've rehearsed this. I've done some dry runs, uh, deliberate practice, meaning you're practicing, but you're, you're getting active feedback. You're being critiqued by someone, hopefully that's better than you and saying, Hey, that was good, but here's some other areas you can sure up. Uh, that's why 
you know, having friends who are in the military, that's why they train so hard. They, they tell me oftentimes, you know, getting deployed is the kind of the fun part in a weird way. Cause that's when they actually go, get to go actually do the real work. That's why they train so hard. They train, they make their training so hard. Cause what's the saying? It's better to, the harder your training is, the less you'll bleed, uh, on the battlefield, mm. you know, that type of thing. So yeah, that's why I say, you know, rising to the occasion is just, it's a, it's a pipe dream. You know, it, it, it's all about, have you, have you trained? I mean, it's no, say, say I had to go give a Ted talk tomorrow. Well, if I haven't been putting in the work, what's the likelihood that I'm just going to go there and just deliver this awesome, you know, Ted talk that where there's millions and millions, probably not very likely. Is close, it possible? Close to yeah. zero. Close, close to, to zero. zero. Is it possible? Yeah. I guess there's always a, that little sliver of hope. I'd rather put in the work than to, right. to better my chances. That's right. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, and then, you know, one of the ways that you can, you can practice this and again, crawl, walk, run, just meet yourself at the level you're at is just giving yourself monthly milestone challenges, like what, whatever that is. So the easy one I always go to is, uh, working out, you know, physical fitness. So every month I usually like to challenge myself with some gnarly, you know, two hour workout of some time. Why? Because I love that feeling when you're working out to where you've pushed yourself, your, your body's broken down. You've pushed yourself so hard that like literally all you can think about is just your next breath of air. You're, you're like, like you're just taxed. And those are the moments I love. That's why I like working out because that's when that's when quitting starts to enter your mind or like, why am I doing this? I'm the only one out here. Why am I, why am I doing this? Why is my crazy neighbor looking at me? Like he wants to call the cops because I'm flipping this tire. Like, but I love that. Like I want to be that person. And I love being in, in that moment because I think that's one of the ways that you can build mental toughness, emotional resiliency, obviously build your grit is by putting yourself in those situations over and over and over again and not quitting, not giving up. Um, that's just going to be habitual and it's going to follow you along to, to anything you decide to do for the right reasons. So, yep. so what's, uh, what's one of your favorite milestone challenges you've set for yourself outside of Kokoro? So we, we, um, in our coaching group, you know, one of the things that you get access to is you get to work out alongside, uh, my tribe, my group. So I lead workouts every Saturday morning and once a quarter, we usually pick something pretty, pretty tough to do. So we actually just got done doing one a couple months ago. We had never done this <clears throat> and the feedback was amazing. And I think I'm going to make it an annual thing. Uh, it's walking. So just like I'm doing now, your, your mission is to walk, but it's to walk for 24 hours straight. So let that sink in a little bit. It, it's, you know, a lot of people can walk if you're medically able to do it, but when's the last time you walked for, you know, 12, uh, an entire day, you could take as many breaks as you wanted, but the idea was, you know, take a break, eat, drink, take a nap if you need to, but get back in the game and see how many miles you can build up over the course of that. So, you know, we're just, we're safely uh, pushing our limits to, to learn more about ourselves. That that's what I think is so much fun because that's that's where you really, you know, see what your character is and you learn new things about yourself and and so on and so forth. 
And, yeah, we call that the long walk. And did you do the long walk with a rock or a weighted vest, or did you just long walk? I just did the walk. Okay. Yeah, it's trust me, it's tough enough. Yeah, just, exactly. Uh, it, just it, it, you can. Hey, if that's what you want to no, do, no, no. You, you do you. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, yeah, we we had some people that did. I tell you what made this really really sweet, Clint. Is um, as I mentioned, I'm married. My wife went alongside me, and dude, the level of conversations we had in the wee hours of the morning, like when when it was really getting tough, it was it was amazing, man. It like took our relationship to another level. It's interesting. I know a young guy and young is roughly our age or younger who, who did a 24 hour walk last, last month. So it's, you know, it'd be, it'd it'd be really uh, interesting if he was in in your your group or if it was just coincidental that he did a 24 hour walk at a roughly, it was just last month that he did it. If I recall correctly, I remember uh, someone sharing something either on Instagram or Twitter for him. The That's cool. so when uh, I'm going to flip to a, a fun time in your past. So you were at an awards dinner for a company when you took on a new sales role, and you got the boss in the hallway, and he only had a couple minutes, and you and you asked um, a question, he, and you said he stopped dead in his track looked me square in the eye and said, most people, when they start something new, it can take a while for them to dip their toes in. Very few jump in the deep end and attack this job with everything they have. My advice is to jump in with everything you have. If not now, then what? And you would ask them, hey, I'm new here. How am I going to be successful in this role? And that was his answer. Dive in. Take the training wheels off. Yeah, you, you took you took me back, man. I can I can picture that. So I I worked for uh, one of the big three in higher education publishing publishing, and I was a brand new rep. This was probably about eleven years ago. And my very first day with the companies at their national sales meeting, and a lot of big companies have these types of meetings. And there's there was an events night, so they they called it prom. But basically, everybody dresses up. You know, you're you're in like some fancy clothes. It's an awards dinner, and you're recognizing the superstars of the company, like the number one rep, the top performers, all that good stuff. And they get to walk across stage, give a little speech. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty special stuff, like pretty cool. And they get rewards, usually mon- monetarily. So I just happened to, you know, hit the bathroom on a break, and there's the the CEO of the company. And I'm brand new. You know, we were like washing our hands in the bathroom and I'm trying to think, man, what am I, I, I should say something, but I don't, I don't know what, you know, it's the bathroom, you don't want to be weird. So I just, I, I wait till we walk out and I said, Hey, you know, didn't want to bother you while you're obviously using the bathroom, but I'm new here, new to the industry. You know, what, what advice do you have? And yeah, he gave, he gave that exact answer. Shout out to uh, Brian Kibbe if he's, if he's listening right now. And yeah, he, he said most people when they start, take some a while to get going. He's like, my advice is if you want to be one of those people across the stages, you just dive in with both feet. It doesn't matter. You don't know what you're doing or you don't know the product or whatever. The key is just, you know, it, it's that hard work. It's, it's getting in. It's that sort of sort of that daily grind. And you're going to learn. You're going to learn a lot about yourself. You're going to learn, learn a lot about the industry, about the products, about your customers. And eventually you're going to become 
quote unquote, you know, one of those top performers or one of those experts. And, uh, and that's what I did, man. And, and that is, that is sound advice because at that time I was, I was motivated. I was motivated by different things too back then. I mean, money was definitely one of them and I had the opportunity to, to, to do pretty well, just the way the comp plan was written and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I, I, I cashed in, man. I, I dove in and, um, that was, that was good. I'm, I'm glad it has changed because I'm in a different part of my life where, yeah, you know, is money important? Yes, absolutely. Do I want to burn the candle at both ends day in, day out? Like I did back then with a fan? No, no, I don't. Cause there's more important things. Yeah. So not, not to derail that, but yeah, that's the, that's the story, man. So dive in, just get in, go after what you want and do that's the it. work. Just, just get in, do the work, believe in yourself, ask questions. Um, you know, you know, having, having worked in corporate America for a long time, like if I had new people working underneath me and, you know, they weren't asking me questions all the time. It's like, all right, are they working? Do they like it? You know, you start, you start asking your questions as a, as a manager. So, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's important, man. You just, and, and for the listeners out there, you know, ask yourself, you could ask yourself that question. What's the, what's the last thing that I pursued and literally put my feet to the fire and jumped in the deep end and just said, whatever, man, I'm going all in on this. My answers might surprise you, but it's worth looking at. hundred percent. And so if taking you back to Kokoro, one of the things the coaches said to all of you early on was that you will be successful if you do these things, three things in these three things only breathe, think, execute. So we already talked about breathe. Mm-hmm. What about the think and execute? <clears throat> yeah. So it's, this is basic. This is so rudimentary. And when he, when he told us that I was thinking, no way this can't, there's, there's no way I tell you what, this piece of advice I use every day without fail, breathe, think, execute. So it's, it's as simple as that though. We already talked about breathing. So if I'm in a situation like you right now, you just ask me a question. If I, if I'm trying to think, where am I going to go? I'm gonna take a breath. That breath going to allow me to think because our supercomputers in our mind can, can, can move pretty quick. And then I'm going to execute on that. I'm going to think through it. So it's pretty basic, but what, what he's really getting at there. And, and what I learned was a lot of us have uh, knee jerk reactions. We're reacting to something, especially in the moment versus responding. There's a big difference between responding and reacting. So for instance, if you have kids and one of your kids spills something in the kitchen, it's probably pretty normal to have a knee jerk reaction and, and be mad and elevate your voice. And it makes them feel like crap because they probably didn't mean to do it. But if you take that split second, get a little patience, think about it. All right, well, it's just a spill. No big deal. Then you can come up with a better way to respond. Mm. Yep. So just in my favorite person who talks about this, is the quote from Viktor Frankl about the stimulus and response and increasing that gap. And when we can increase that gap, that's where the magic happens. And so when we take that breath, we think, and then we execute or we respond, we're really focusing on increasing that gap between stimulus response 
Exactly. Oh. Exactly. And, and you also talked about applying that to active listening. Is, is that simply the act of, well, I'm listening, I'm just breathing, and then I pause to think before I offer a response? Or how, how do you apply that there? Yeah, so active listening, yes, incorporates that. I, I just mean too, just just being in the moment and giving someone, <clears throat> you know, the undivided attention, kind of like we're doing now. You know, I'm not on my email or I'm not looking at my phone. Like I am engaged in this conversation 100%. We're interacting and it's great. This is a great conversation. I can feel the energy, that sort of thing. But we've all had those times where you're on that, you're on that conference call at work and you're doing email or I'll use one from my own life that I personally struggle with. And, you know, my, my wife comes home, Hey, how was your day, honey? And, uh, she, she is a, she is gifted, gifted at telling a story and putting in every little detail, like what so-and-so <laughs> was wearing, you know, what they, and I'm not like that. Like I'm very high level, like, okay, what's the overall mission? Okay, boom, let's do it. It's tough for me to just sit there and, and actively listen. But I look at those situations and I just tell myself, this is training. This is training. It's all it is. Like I need to actively engage. And am I perfect at it? Heck no, man. And she would, she would tell you that. <laughs> but I have gotten better. <laughs> I have gotten better. Absolutely. So that's what I mean by that. I actively listen. Like being engaged, you know, and showing up, you know, physically looking like you're engaged and, you know, just, just listen. And that's the other thing too. I, I was told this by a, a former boss. We have two ears and one mouth. So just remember that ratio. You should listen twice as much as you speak. Mm -hmm. You reminded me when, when you were describing how your wife will tell you a story. Cause my youngest son, he, you know, Hey dad, can I tell you about my day? And like my oldest son, it's like you ask him and he's like, good. But yeah, that's, the, how, that's how both my kids are. Yeah, yeah exactly. but the little guy is just like he'll start with, "Okay, well, I woke up," and and he'll take you through every minute of the day, and you're just like, and you think there's no way this can go on, and he's like, and then we had recess, and you're like, "Holy shit, we're only twenty five percent of the way through this little guy's exactly. day," and then he's like, "Dad, are you still listening?" It's like, "Oh my yep. god, son." Sure. And especially if you're like in the middle of doing something, right? You're, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Doing any, it's like, okay, I thought this was going to be two minutes. Now it's like 10 minutes and we're still going. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. The and So I'm going to take you to one of the exercises you were doing and everyone was standing around confused. No one knew what they were doing. And so the coaches started ripping on you guys. What? There's no leader. Who the hell is going to lead this team of sorry asses. And so that made you realize in hindsight, you have the, the concept of the seal ethos. We expect to lead and be led in the absence of orders. I will take charge, lead my teammates and accomplish the mission. I lead by example in all situations. So how did that look like for you in Kokoro and how do we, as the listener, apply that concept in our daily lives, that concept of switching from leading 
to being led. And, and then the, uh, I'm throwing like a five parter at you. The, you talk about recognizing that if you're not flipping between those two roles, something's wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. We can start with that ladder. If you want, it's look at any leader, whether it's at work or we're all in leadership roles, whether we know it or not. And I would ask, ask yourself, how often am I flipping between leading and following? Because I think it's just as important to follow in a lot of situations as it is to lead. We all, we all know leaders, or maybe we have been that type of leader where it's like, you've got to have the final say, or that idea has to come from you, um, so on and so forth, instead of you know giving, giving praise to your team. Having someone on elevating them up, like, oh no, it wasn't me. It was part of the team, you know? So that's what I'm talking about with that ladder piece is we really need to examine how often we're actually in that leadership role versus, versus following. Cause it's great. It's great to follow because I'm not going to have all the best answers or the best vision or anything like that. So if someone comes up with something and it's like, hell yeah, man, I'll support you. Absolutely. You know, that, that's a true team. And then. What was you asked like four different parts there? I'm trying to think of what the first one was. Yeah, it, it it's the simple concept of like how did that seal ethos play into your time at Kokoro and into your daily yep. life? Like how does that yep. concept play in? Got it. So yeah, at at the camp it became evident real early on that was one of the first things we were hit with was, you know, who's the leader? I'm like, I don't know. Are you the leader? Am I the leader? What do they mean? I didn't know there was a class leader. And then we, we paid for that with some um, some sort of, of movements. And then the question's asked again, who's the leader? They're just trying to figure out who's going to raise up their hand and step into that leadership uh, role when there's a void. Because every team needs a leader. You need to know where you're going. You got to have some sense of direction. And um, that would happen throughout camp. But what happened was, as the team gelled, as we, we as we became a real unit, a real team, uh, there wasn't that void anymore. People people were actually, you know, competitive with raising up their hand or running over to a spot to say, "Yes, I'll lead. I'll lead. It's my turn. Like I want to lead this team." Because so I think everybody deserves a a, a shot at leading because it's it's a it's an important skill. It's an important skill to learn and have the opportunity to do that. And how you can take that into your own life is. What I love about like Jocko Willink and what he's got going on, those who might listen to uh, to Jocko, you know, he he talks about ownership. He's got a book called Ex- Ex- Extreme Ownership, and that is you owning your life, you owning the situation you're in, and you take that leadership role. So if you do, like, so for instance, if you're at work and you know, there's some negative chatter about whatever it is. And, and this is consistent, right? We know there's a, we know there's an issue at work, all right? We, we, we know there's something existing, but no one's owning it. Mm. How many times have you come across that yeah. in, in, in your career? What if instead of that, what if someone's like, you know, whoever talks about that issue says, you know what, I'm going to own this, even though it's not my job. But I, we know it's a problem. It could absolutely affect our customers if it's unaddressed. It could spoil out of control. I'm going to own this, and I'm I'm going to I'm going to be the leader in that. That that's what we're talking about. That that's a that's an easy easy one is identifying those opportunities in your own life where you're like, yeah, something's not right, 
or something could be spiraling out of control. You know it because internally you're you're getting that um, you're getting that internal dialogue. And instead of me just turn a blind eye or sitting there and doing nothing, which is what we often times do, I'm going to own it and I'm going to lead. I'm going to find a way to either mitigate it, go around it, overadapt, and it come. We talk about that at work as a concept of owning the D. So anytime there's an issue, it's who owns the deliverable, who owns the D, and making sure we don't leave that meeting without someone's initials on it. So who's the yep. best person in this room to deal with that? And sometimes that's you. Sometimes you get to lead. Sometimes it's, oh, I think Steve will be better at this or Tina or, or someone else on the team. But it's don't leave the room without knowing who's going to do it, what they're doing, and when it's got to when it when it's got to be done. Classic. I love that. I love classic. That, who, what, and, when? And, and, yeah, and and spread that out. Right. We would we would in that situation we wouldn't want just one person. That's right. Owning owning everything. Which That's right. Is what we were trying to talking about between alternating between leading and following. It's like cool. You you got this. I believe in you. I will follow you. I will back you one hundred percent because I've I've got that trust in you. Absolutely. And switching in a different direction. So you already talked about morning routine. Super important. But you also have this concept, and I love the acronym, of setting up your ideal day. So what is the acronym and how do we use that to set up our ideal day? And what does that look like for you? Yeah. So, you know, the ideal day for me really begins at it's really quite frankly, just taking stock of any day throughout the week that you got going on. So, you know, take a look at your, take a look at your day. And it first starts off with taking stock of what you're doing hour by hour, minute by minute, you know, and you can start off going hour by hour, but I employ you to get a little bit more granular and just taking stock of, Hey, we all get 24 hours in a day. Am I making best use of that time so that I can opt um, so I can operate, you know, at a optimal level. And I mean, write everything on there from, you know, how much are you sleeping to when am I, how long does it take for me to eat? You know, how much family time am I spending? What, what's my self-care look like, including, you know, morning, morning routines, like we talked about training, you know, all that stuff. How much time am I spending work, uh, working? And then I want you to come up with, you know, if I had a perfect day, you know, knowing that I've got a, you know, this isn't vacation and I can't just, you know, be on vacation every day. But if I had an ideal day where I knew I had to work and work out and all that, what would that look like? And then basically you just, you assign time to all that. And the, the ideal is actually an acronym, which I break down um, in the book. And I stands for, um, these are like the super important items that um that you feel like you just you got to do uh, as mm. a way of improve Im- improving yourself it could be you know an online course you're taking learning to play a new instrument um you know working out whatever that is so think of like the important things you want to get done that day all right truly important uh d is uh i call that dollars or dinero so like what's what's your job man we all have something we do uh whether it's your job career side hustle whatever Got to make that money to support your family and your dreams. Um, how much time are you going to dedicate towards that? Uh, e are those essential items. Some of them I mentioned earlier, like sleeping, eating. Uh, obviously, those are essential. I put training in there. 
uh, physical training because I I think physical training is as important as sleeping and and eating. So those are my non negotiables. <clears throat> like I'm doing those three without fail every day. You know now the amount of time might adjust depending on what I got going on, but I'm doing those three without fail. The A is uh, you know we gotta have some some flex time in there, right? Because things gonna Things are going to pop up, you know, maybe you got to go to the grocery store. Maybe you got to run out, get that Christmas present, you know, with, with Christmas popping up or, or, or whatever. So you, we want to plan for a little bit of flex time if we can picking up the kids to go to sports, whatever. And then, um, L is, uh, what I call kind of like low key stuff could be reading, uh, meditation, spot drills, taking a nap, you know, whatever. But essentially when you've identified all these tasks, then you just come up with, you know, what you want that ideal day to look like and you, you schedule it out just like anything else. So that way you've kind of accounted for everything. And, and, um, will you hit all that stuff? I mean, realistically, probably not, but if you can hit, hit most of it and, and, and that's one day and then you do it another day and you start to habit stack those days on top of each other, good days turn to good weeks, good weeks turn to good months. And before you know it, you've had a pretty damn good year and you just keep that going. And, and that's one of the keys right there is, is in, let's definitely spend a little bit of time on that. People don't often realize the importance of good habits done consistently over long periods of time. So you, you, what does that look like for you? And, and how do you use that to achieve things that people might think, well, that's almost impossible. When you talk about a, a definition of, of grit, it, it is something. It, it it is consistency over the long haul, and that applies to everything, everything. Uh, kids' sports, you know. Well, how long have they been playing? You know, how, how long do they train a lot? You know, that you can start really boiling that down. You're getting ready to, um, you know, I use that example earlier running running uh running a marathon well are you getting the mileage are you consistently putting in the mileage or are you slacking off and on the weekend you're going out and killing yourself and running the 10 to 13 miles you know um or whatever it is so um another one is uh, here's a good example too like say and, and i've never done one of these but so you're doing like a bodybuilding show mm-hmm. And you know you you, you got to look good, right? You got to go on stage, flex those flex those muscles. Well, have you consistently been training, and and you got your nutrition dial in, or are you just going to show up the night before and work out for five hours and say, "Up, oh, I hope I look good." You, you you know you know what I mean? Like that that's what we're getting at in its infancy, and it's it can be tough to see the forest through the trees. I, I mean, an example from from my own life, you know, we've talked about Kokoro Camp, but let's let's use the example of writing this book. That was five years, <laughs> what you're reading right now. Five years of blood, sweat, tears, love, hate, relationship. But when I boil it back to like, how did I write the book? Because I get asked that all the time because everybody has a different process. I just put my ass in the chair early in the morning and I wrote for an hour. Whether I got 500 words, whether I got 1,000, whatever. That was my consistent practice over time. Did I have weeks I didn't write anything? Yeah, I did. In fact, I had probably a couple months I didn't write anything. But it was the consistency over time to where, boom, now you've got this 
your goal is uh, accomplished. And for me, I've got this book that I can always go back to. But it's not like I just did that in a couple of evenings. Like th- that took a ton of time, not knowing what the end product would look like. And so when you look at that, and, and I'm going to use your trees forest analogy, you know, people often start with the forest and they just get so overwhelmed because they're like, oh, I can't. I can't do an Ironman or I, I can't write yep. a book and because they're looking at the forest. They're not looking at the tree. Let's call the trees the process. And you're planting one tree a day by putting in your hour of writing. And so over the course of a year, that's 365 trees. Over the course of five years, that's 1,500, well, even more, that's 1,800 trees. You now have a forest. And so when when you're working with clients, do you really try to get them to pull back from the – and this is one of the reasons I love Stephen Covey. It feels like the seven habits can be the answer to almost everything. You know, yeah, we've got the forest as our end in mind, but let's pull it all the way back to what's the first step we need to take today – and what, what are those steps we need to consistently take to get us to the point of that forest? That's it, man. Just being able to take that goal, work backwards, chop it up into, you know, easy to digest things that you can do daily. Like it, and that's why, you know, going back to how we opened up this podcast, it, it's hard work. I'm not saying it's not hard work, but you got to do, you got to put it in. There isn't that magic pill that you're going to snap your fingers and boom. You know, um, but just just stick with it. Like it it, it will happen. It, no no question in my mind, it will happen. And in part of that hard work, in part of everything you did at Kokoro, and I'm assuming you do in everyday life, is learning that to live an op- your own optimal life and your own version of success, recognizing everyone defines their own success and their own optimal life. But one of the things you learned and I apply as well is the concept that you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. So what does that look like for you? And how do you embody that on on the regular so that when you do get in an uncomfortable situation, you rise? Great, great question. It's going to be different for everybody, but I I look at things that you have a little bit of fear of or you're scared to do, but you know, deep down inside, it's, it's, it's good for me. Uh, For instance, that could be public speaking for me. I, 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 um, do I get anxiety and stuff before I'm going to go on stage? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Cause I want to do a great job, but I know it's good for me. And then more importantly, I think about what if I don't deliver this message and the person that's there in the audience was like just primed to hear it? And what if that could actually help them out just a little bit? And I don't want to do it because I'm scared. No, sorry. I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk through that door. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hop on stage. So it depends on, um, you know, what it is you're, you're fearful of, but this to me goes to, um, a bigger conversation too about courage. Cause I'm a believer that, uh, courage and fear go hand in hand, mm. hand in hand. In fact, I also like to say that those who are the most fearful have the opportunity to show the most courage and be the most courageous. I share this with my son 
and daughter every day. But like one of the ways we do that is um, fear of heights. So like my son's got a fear of heights. He's eight. Um, but we will um, like I'll pull down the ladder of the attic and like just even going up, he, he starts to get a little freaked out. But um, I'm there alongside him, coaching him just to kind of get over get over that. So to, to be comfortable while being uncomfortable. And that's where all these uh, tips and tricks we've been talking about for your listeners, that's where this comes into play. That's where the breath control comes into play. Because what happens when we get scared or we're in an uncomfortable situation, blood pressure usually goes up, heart starts beating faster, maybe you get sweaty palms, you can feel the redness coming upon you. So breathe, breathe. All right, just remember, fall back on that breath, center yourself, right? And that's when you start going through that big four of mental toughness. But the more the more we put ourselves into uncomfortable situations, I'm, that that is where the growth happens. Mm-hmm. No doubt in my mind. The most growth you're going to experience in your life is going to come from some sort of adversity. Whether you invited that into your life or unfortunately it just landed on your face and you're just you're you're you're, you're stuck with it, right? But that's life. We we know. We know life's going to hit us in the face. It's not a matter of if, but when. But the great thing for us is today, just like planting a tree, we can we can plant that seed today and begin to work towards that. I'm not saying your life's going to be easy, but I will say it will be easier if you have a strong foundation to fall back on. And one of the ways you love to challenge people with that one is to say, hey – have a cold shower every day for 30 days and and, <laughs> oh, yeah. and see what that's like. And, you know, you can't, you can't tell because you're on the other end, but I, I'm here in Vancouver. So we're not as cold as the rest of Canada, we're, but we're probably about zero to minus five right now. And my office is a, a separate little building. I'll call it my man cave in the backyard and my heater hasn't worked for a little over a year. So the repair guys are looking for some parts for it. So I'm not necessarily in a cold shower, but I'm pretty frozen. And <laughs> I'll do that for an hour and a half. And it usually takes about three hours to record the podcast. It usually takes about three hours before I'm like, oh, hey, I can think things feel warm again. So it's just that. You know, I can I can make a choice. Well, don't come out here and record a podcast. Find a suboptimal space and wake everybody up in the house at at six in the morning, or just be uncomfortable for a ninety minute podcast, and then go about your day, warm back up, and, and take exactly. it as a take it as a long cold exposure. And then how how uh, how much do you love coming back into the heat after you've been exposed to? To your cold temperature. I'll go straight to work today, but the days where you come back, where you really realize it, are, are where you go and have the shower after you podcast, and the hot water hits you, and all this yeah. like it, it's it's almost a little painful. You're like, oh, ooh, yeah. I was frozen. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It, but I love uh, cold exposure. For some reason, I don't necessarily love cold showers. But like jumping in the cold plunge for five minutes and you know going underwater for a for a minute or so, uh, it just feels magical. Like getting under that water and box breathing. Well, you're not really box breathing; you're just holding your breath. But but right. you know meditating and it's just to me, it's just a magical feeling. There's a really cool documentary I just started watching called Limitless. 
with oh. uh, Chris Hemsworth. Have you seen that? The, I, the I've seen the preview, story? but I haven't started. It's awesome. It's worth it, but, yeah? Yeah, it's totally worth it because – and I don't want to spoil it, but basically he's looking at ways to increase um, how long we live, sort of longevity. And the re- research is showing that exposure to extremes, whether it's cold or hot, um, has a dramatic – effect on one's immune system to ward off disease and stuff like that so yeah it's very very cool stuff so yeah exposing yourself to cold water in a safe manner and then also you know jumping in a, a sauna or, or what have you uh yeah it's it's showing some some really really cool effects but yeah to your to your point how do we how do we get as uncomfortable keep it easy look at the stuff you take for granted every day um whether it's air conditioning or heat um Waking up early, you know, eating, eating the right stuff instead of the sugary, whatever that's eye level, like start doing that stuff, you know? Yeah. It's not easy, but you're going to see some, some effects over the long run. Yeah. And and absolutely. And I had another guest on and he talked about like with food, he's like, well, I'm not a nutritionist, but like, I keep it simple, you know, like whole natural foods buy the best option available, eat at the same time every day, like eat a variety of foods. It's like, well, it's yeah, not that hard. It, yeah. We're all different with that, you know? And, and it's like, I still eat pizza and have donuts and stuff like that, but moderation comes. Exactly. Yes. There, you know, so, so look at moderation. And then when you're shopping in a, in a grocery store, you know, try to stay on the peripheral as much as possible. You know, you start going into the guts. Well, that's where the cereal aisle is. And it's like, I try to try to stay away from that aisle as much as possible. Cause I, kn- I know if I go in there, I'm probably walking out with something. Same with like the chip aisle, but yeah, load up on, uh, you know, fruits, veggies, you know, whole foods. And, uh, I, I yeah, I'm not a nutritionist, but I, I know what works for me and what makes me feel good. I love it. And, and so one of the questions I, I want to end with you before we dive into what we, our version of the final four is the, when you talk about finding your purpose, like we talked about the whys, but you also talked about something you had read called the gift method. And you referenced that in your book. Is that something you can share with our listeners so they can, they can start to really dig into their purpose? Yeah, absolutely. So I was at a retreat for dads that was called, uh, it still is dad's edge Alliance. It's still, still around shout out to Larry Hagner if he's listening, but as the name would suggest, it was, it's where dads could go, um, and, and work on being, being a good dad, you know, cause that was something that was important to me. And there was a guest speaker there, uh, whose name's Tuan Nguyen and, and Tuan actually, he lives in Canada. Uh, incidentally, great dude. If y'all don't know Tuan, look him up, but he's, uh, just, uber successful. But what I loved about Tuan was, uh, his message and, um, and he's got a big heart, man. He's just got such a big heart for service. So he's the one that shared this with me. And it's, it's one of those things, man, I wrote it down and just kind of took it to heart. But, you know, as we're looking, when we're looking at, you know, purpose, this is one way we can start to examine what might we like doing or what might we be good at. So, um, gift is an analogy. So the G stands for, for given, given by your loved ones, given by God, if you believe in God or whatever it is you believe in, but what, what are your natural talents? What are you talented in? What were you born with? And that might be kind of tough to, to answer. So if it is, uh, cause it was for me, a- ask a loved one, ask your spouse, ask 
mom and dad, brother, sister, friends, whoever, because they're, they're going to know. They're going to know what they what they think you're just kind of like a natural at. Like you just you have this natural knack for, I don't know, making the complex simple or whatever that might be. Right. So start there. Um, I stands for innate in your soul. So like, what are you constantly uh, thinking about? <clears throat> what do you what do you dream about? Like, what are these going back to what we talked about earlier? If we've got 50,000 thoughts popping in our head and half of them are the same ones as yesterday. What are some of those thoughts? Are there some reoccurring thoughts that keep coming up there? Maybe there's some patterns there, you know? So, so what, what is my North star um, when I have time to, you know, slow that down and get rid of the noise? What, what is that saying that I need to do, you know, and really listen to that. So eyes and eight in your soul F, which is probably my favorite F is failures you've achieved. Because failing is not bad. Failing is actually how we get better. And it's time that we reevaluate how we look at failure. In fact, I like to ask my kids throughout the week, what'd you fail at at school today? Mm. Cool. Because I know if they're putting in the work, I'm not saying if they're failing, it's, it's a good thing with grades. But if they're putting in the work or they're failing at something, cool. Well, I, I, know, I know they are opening up that mindset. You know, because, you know, if they're making E's and it's A's and it's coming super easy and they're bored, like, I don't know if that's such a good thing either. They need to be challenged. So I, I want my kids to experience failure. I want them to know what that's like. I want them to instill and learn what hard work is. So F are, are failures that you've achieved and, um, you know, nothing venture, nothing game. Oftentimes the things we fail at and then we come back and we course correct and quote unquote get right, we can teach that to other people. There's lots of side businesses that, or even businesses that operate that way. You know, they just, they took an existing idea or existing concept and just made it better, essentially. But I guarantee they've had some failures along the way and they've learned from that. And now they get to like talk on that, coach on that, have an online course on that, that sort of thing. And then the, the T is, uh, is, is just training. So oh, whether that's everything from, we've been talking and, and about, everything, yeah. whether that's, you know, education, where'd you go to school? courses you signed up for, things you're reading, what are you trained in? You know, so when you look at all those um, in, inside the GIFs acronym and write those down, try to see if there's some patterns there. Try to see if you can group those together. And that'll probably more often than not lead you towards what might possibly be your your purpose. And, and That's just one way you can look at it. I, I love the failure in the way you approach it. One of the things we talk about a bit on the podcast is just the idea that failure is feedback. And so yep. do with it what you will. Learn from it. Grow from it. Fail as much as you possibly can, and you will be more successful than if you don't fail at all. And so you got time for the final four? Uh, bring it, man. All right, let's do four. it. These are so, these are yeah, some quick ones that we try to do with all our guests. What's one book you've read? So we know the video that was a life changer for you, but what's a book that you've read that's changed your life? Ooh, I would say I actually have it right here. Unbeatable Mind by Mark Devine. So, well, I, I don't think your audience can see it, but uh, Mark Mark's the creator of Seal Fit, Kokoro Camp, Unbeatable Mind. This book was a game changer for me. It's one of those I go back to like every year and read it because things will hit me differently. Mm. So I would, I would recommend that to, uh, to your readers. For the, re for the listeners, the, for the listeners. cover the cover has, I think it's Mark, uh, yep. in a staring contest with a wolf, 
which is pretty darn cool. He refers to that as uh, feeding the courage wolf. Feeding the courage wolf. I love it. So what's on your shelf right now? What are you reading right now? Oh, man. I've got um, Tribes by Seth Godin. Okay. I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but it's really, really cool, really easy read. And it's it's just about how, um, and I'm only halfway through, but if you look at civilization hundreds of years ago, that's how we survived was by being parts of groups, being parts of tribes. And, you know, nowadays, more often than not, it's like, we don't even know who our next door neighbors are. And we've got that's all this right. cool yes. technology, but it's like, I don't know what so-and-so does or what they're into or what their kids' <laughs> names are, or, you know? So it's all about how important tribes are and that, um, again, what we've been talking about, we need leaders to step up and lead these tribes, you know, start your own organization, start your own group, you know, that type of thing. Love it. So yeah, right now I'm reading uh, tribe. I have a couple, uh, Oh, I'm going through Angela Duckworth's book grit Grit. again for like the third time, but I'm doing a, um, we're doing like a book club. With it, it's with my, oh, with my nice. membership, so it, okay. it, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, we're taking it chapter by chapter and reading it, and then talking about it um, in depth over calls. So that's that's been a lot of fun. Oh, I love doing that with people. Yeah. The so what's one thing in the last twelve to twenty four months that you've spent a, a thousand bucks or less on that you wish you had bought sooner? Oh man, great question. There's so many things I've spent money on that I wish I would have bought. The the one okay this uh so I I bought a so let me back up do you have, do you have time to get to yeah of course of course all right so throughout my career um I've I've been in sales I've been a, a consultant for um since 2003 basically I've had the fortunate I've been very fortunate because I've always had a company car always. Mm. Which is which is awesome, you know. When it's now not, you know, I didn't get to pick what to drive. We drove like base model, whatever, and but you know, gas was paid for, oil, all all that good stuff. And you know, first world problem, right? You're always like, well, I kind of like to have something that's that's mine. So I, I took a new job, being of of, uh, of last year, lost the company car, and I was on the car market. Well, if you know about obviously the supply chain stuff, it's like the worst time to, to be buying a vehicle because there aren't any new ones on the lots. Yeah, All the used yeah. ones are like five to 10,000 more than they usually go for or whatever. So, and I said, well, I'm going to get what I really want. And so I ordered, um, I ordered something that I, I've had my eye on for a long time. I ordered a Ford Bronco full size, okay. full size. All right. Took, took nine months. Um, but, what I what I just got for for the Bronco that I wish I had done earlier was I tinted the windows, I tinted the front windows, okay. and, uh, and, and so that was less than a thousand dollars the tint, and I'm so glad I did because it just it keeps it keeps the warmth in more. People can't see in near as much, and it's just uh, it's awesome. So that's my answer. I love it. So you got yourself the truck. That's uh, I got myself the truck finally in the Bronco. Yeah, and I tell you what, oh. I, I'm usually I'm usually not like that. Like I I historically always, you know, it's a it's a vehicle. Do I want to spend that much? But I thought, you know, you only live once. I saved up for it. Um, I mean, I didn't pay cash for the entire thing, but I I put a significant deposit on it, so it was totally manageable. And I thought, all right, this is my this is my gift to me. You know, yeah, 
I get it. I love it. So the show is about growth and w- uh, so is your book. So what is one mindset shift habit or new behavior you've adopted in the last 12 months that's been a game changer for you? That's new or that yeah, I've been doing Yeah, for that's a while? new. That's new. Let's see. Um Okay, this is this is minor, but it's it's a different um, perspective. And I, I think it's good to do this because sometimes we can get in a rut. So I'm pretty habitual about training and working out. I work from home. So I have the luxury of I can work out whenever I want. And typically, I would always work out during lunch. That's just that's like my time. Just go out in the garage. And I have a gym in my garage. So I'll just go out and hit it there. What my wife and I have been doing for the last, let's see, four or five months is... Um, and, and this goes into morning routine because it's, it's good to change those up too because you can get stuck in a rut. So my morning routine used to be I'd wake up, uh, slam some water, which I still do, make the bed, still do that. And then I would do 20 minutes of breath work, meditation, and then start on some passion project, whether it was writing uh, in a journal or reading, whatever. Okay. I, I, I've done that for years. I changed that. And for good reason, my wife and I now wake up together early and we work out together um, for about 25, 30 minutes every morning. So nothing crazy, but we'll we'll run outside, we'll ruck, we'll hop on the exercise bike, whatever. And man, that's just, uh, that's been, that, that's been a real game changer. Just being able to share, um, to share that with my wife. Cause the other big thing with that is she's my accountability partner and I'm yeah. hers because there's mornings you're not going to want to do it. Especially if you live in cold climates, which we do. Um, we, being in Indiana, it might not be as cold as you guys, but we're like, actually, it's kind of warm here today. It was like 40 this morning, so that, that wasn't too bad. Um, but having her as my accountability partner for the morning is just, it's it's awesome. So that's something that we re- recently changed up. And I, I advise that to anyone. Like if there's a way, if you're married, if there's a way to get your spouse more involved with, you know, things you like to do and vice versa, man, do it do it. It's going to take your relationship to a new level. Oh, I love that. That's a beauty. And and so we've gone pretty wide and deep through the book. Is there anything that we've missed that you want to make sure you leave the listeners with? Here's what I oh, found. man. How, how to sum that up? I, I would say, you know, at the end of the day, uh, and I, I have this, my, my, uh, my wife, my kids picked this out for me. I don't know if you can see it, but it's a little like espresso mug. Yeah. And it says life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Beauty. And I have this right here on my desk. So that's what I would want the listeners to just to remember. Life truly does begin at the end of your comfort zone. You know, do things, do hard things, do things that are going to put you in uncomfortable situations. And you, trust me, you're going to find out who you are and you're going to grow from it. And, and grow. Brad, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, check me out on uh, my website, schoolofgrit.org. That's not .com, but schoolofgrit.org. And you'll find like all my contact information there, everything I got going on. If you're interested in joining uh, the coaching group, we've got a, a membership. Um, we're offering the first 30 days free actually right now, which is super cool. So if you're interested in, in what I've been talking about and you want a place to come train, come join me, come join my, uh, my cadre, my guest coaches. It's a lot of fun. It's set up like a school. We have calls, um, throughout the month. You kind of sign up for the ones that interest you and 
don't attend the ones that don't. It's pretty, pretty easy, but we all get to interact and train together. And then if you are interested in the book, it's for sale on Amazon. It's the easiest place to get it. So just check out School of Grit and um, look for my name and hopefully you enjoy it. I love it, brother. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, I appreciate you, Clint. Thanks for having me on, bro. Thank you for joining us on The Pursuit of Learning. Make sure to hit the subscribe button and head over to our website, thepursuitoflearning.com, where you will find our show notes, transcripts, and more. If you like what you see, sign up for our mailing list. Until next time, your host in learning, Clint Murphy. Clint Murphy.